Welcome to the Beers podcast, Violin Stories. This is a series about the violin and its siblings, the viola and cello, and those who play them. My name is Simon Morris, and in each episode, I or one of my colleagues will interview an exceptional person from the world of string playing, be they a virtuoso, a collector, philanthropist, or violin maker. In this episode, I'm speaking to Joshua Bell and Harvey D'Souza. In addition to his remarkably successful solo career, Joshua has been music director of the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields for almost 10 years. Sitting next to him on stage is his old friend Harvey D'Souza, who's principal violin of the Academy of St. Martins. We're speaking to each other today during the virus lockdown of 2020 with Harvey in Lyon, France, where he lives with his family, Joshua in New York and myself in Cornwall, England. Welcome to this episode of Violin Stories. When in our lives have we ever just stopped like this for weeks on end? Basically never. And I guess that both of you are living out of a suitcase for how many days a year? 250, 200 days a year. So <laughs> so I, I guess my first question, is this just extraordinarily cathartic, this experience, or is it just really worrying? And how are you both spending your days? I mean, maybe Harvey, do, do you want to start? Well, well, I have to say that initially, I mean, I, I'm thrilled to be at home. You know, when you've been on the road for long periods of time, it's just so wonderful to be home. And and I, there is still a part of me that is absolutely loving being at home, not having to to uh, pack bags and get to an air, uh, airport and and all of that stuff, you know. But without question, I think I'm starting to feel very fearful for the future. But yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity to improve one's washing up dishwashing skills and, and cooking skills and all kinds of other things. So yeah. Do you feel the same way? Josh, is that? How, how yes, I, I've also I've never done so many dishes in my my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, it's been it's such a roller coaster of uh, emotions over the past uh, six weeks. Um, I have to be careful not to to dwell too much on the certain joys that have come from it, because you know there are people dying and we've and horrible things happening and and. Um, uh, it was important to me from the very beginning, though, because at first it was my first reaction was was uh, oh my god, what am I going to do? You know, the, the, uh, I can't do what I've been doing for I think it's been about thirty more than thirty years since I was a teenager um, that I have not had a, even two weeks off. You know, from touring, uh, I don't think I've taken a break ever. So my first no. my first uh, reaction was oh my god, the world is coming to an end and you know, um, what's going to happen to music and all these things. And then, then I sort of took, uh, started thinking, you know, when this is all over, I want to be able to look back and, and feel like I've gained something from this that I wouldn't have otherwise. And, and um, so with that sort of approach, trying to find the silver linings, it's really opened up ways uh, to actually get some real joy from this unique opportunity as well. So, I mean, I've been fearful, very fearful for my own life, for my family's life, for my mother, for, and then, yeah. and then for my friends, you know, and we've had some real tragedies in our world, which we could talk about, um, uh, yeah. in the music world. Um, 
but uh, you know, so it goes back. Sometimes I'm just really fearful, and sometimes I'm just enjoying not setting the alarm in the morning, getting up and practicing not for a concert, but for my own musical nourishment and and enjoyment. So every day I start with, you know, one and a half, two hours of Bach, which I rarely get a chance to do because I don't program solo Bach very often on concerts. In concerts, and I'm barely keeping keeping afloat most of my life, you know, with all the repertoire. Yeah. And now I'm just practicing for my my uh, my own enjoyment and and also learning, you know. So it's a it's really been a kind of a revelation in, in that regard. Sure. And in fact, talking of friends who 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 we've lost, uh, you know, close to our world, um, Martin Loveday cellist yeah. with the academy or I, I shared a desk with in the days when i played in the orchestra mm, and yeah. um martin uh was was a, a you know terrible loss and that really brings it home to one just how close this is and it's it's, it's not just about it's not just about earning a living is it it's really close it's to home. uh martin is, is was a valued uh uh player in the academy seminar in the fields and we've played countless concerts with him and he was one I was worried about uh, right off the bat because uh, he's had some. He's very young. Uh, he was very young. I mean, in his early, I, I think in his fifties. Um, but he had some underlying conditions that I, at first, I thought, uh, I hope he, you know, stays safe. And then when I found out that he had it, I was it was just tragic. And and we've lost him. And he was a great musician and great person and inspiration to us yeah. all. Um, for, for some years while he was going through some other health issues, he kept coming to work and was, we were all feeling very hopeful about it. And then this awful thing happened with the virus. And so it really hit us all at the Academy, very, very close to home. I still can't believe it. Um, and yeah, um, yeah it's uh, very sad. Well, while we're all so isolated um, in our own homes, it does bring it home to me just how music brings together people from, very different parts of the world. So while Josh, you were a child growing up in Indiana, Harvey, mm-hmm. you were you weren't quite in Indiana. You only made it as far as India. Bombay, <laughs> <laughs> India. Yeah, we're so close, Harvey. We were hey. our upbringing was just two letters away from each other. Exactly. <laughs> so, so how do you look back on that experience now? I, I, I mean, now that um, you you've been exposed. Uh, well, almost your entire life, really, to a very different experience. You, you and your child, because you left. When, when did you leave Bombay, Mumbai? You left I left Bombay when I was and, twelve to go to 12. the Houdimelian School in the UK. Yeah, it was, and and we certainly didn't have what you know what that what is known as Western classical music in India. We didn't have a lot of that going on, as you can imagine. Occasionally, there would be recitals of famous artists who would be who would pass through, and primarily because uh, Bombay, you know, used to be on the way to the Far East via ships and boats before we had transatlantic flights. So there was a sort of a, a, a tradition of great artists coming. So Heifetz stopped in Bombay, and of course Menuhin and. Milstein and all these people on their way to Hong Kong and Shanghai and Japan. Mm-hmm. And that's how my father got interested in it, because he saw these amazing 
players play and then inflicted on us because he never got a chance to play. So, uh, And that's how I was introduced to the violin specifically. And, and you know, there's old LPs being woken up by the sounds of David Oistrakh and, and others. Um, that's And I guess there weren't a lot of people listening to David Oistrakh at that time in... Uh... Bombay. I Certainly not. And, 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 and of course, politically at that time, what was very interesting was that India was, was a little bit more aligned with the Soviet Union than it was with the United States of America. So one thing we did have access were, was to all these melodia recordings of Kogan and Oistrakh and Tretyakov and people like that. And that was the only thing we could find. We couldn't get all of the sort of. I remember. I remember when when I got the first box set of Heifetz with people like you know Fritz Reiner and my father just was so thrilled to to sort of you know <laughs> un, uh, open this box and put it on the record player at that time. So it was it was sort of really sought after and incredibly valuable to us. So. And Josh, I guess your 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 experience of growing up until the age of twelve was quite different. Yeah, well, I yeah, well, yes and no. Um, uh, I did not make it to the big cities as a child, like many people who are in this business were taken to New York or whatever when they showed some um, uh, sort of inclination to play to go to take it to the next level. I was I grew up in a small town, Bloomington, Indiana, but it was not a normal, not your usual small town in America. It was the home of uh, one of the great music universities at Indiana University. And there was a teacher there, Joseph Gingold, um, who was a student of Isai. Um, and uh, he was sort of the figurehead uh, of the music department and the violin faculty at Indiana University. So I was so lucky to have this amazing connection to uh, a great uh, world of violin playing and, and dating back to Isai and Vuitton before Isai. And, uh, so I didn't have to go to New York and move to the big city. I went to normal high schools in middle America, but I had this uh, education with uh, one of the great professors and had access to master classes of Menachem Pressler and Janusz Starker and others that taught at the university. So, um, right. so that's how it started. And then my career started when I was about fourteen. But uh, funny enough, you know, we're speaking here with Harvey. Um, uh, Harvey and I. Harvey is is leads the Academy of Saint Martin the Fields uh, much of the time when we work together. He and I sit side by side when I'm directing. And and um, but Harvey and I met for the first time uh, in person in 1990. That was my first year playing at the proms uh, at the proms proms that summer, and and I was staying with his brother uh, Ralph, who was my friend, and I got to know Harvey, and we started playing snooker and other things. Uh, we, <laughs> but uh, I actually knew about Harvey when I was twelve years old. Um, I I went to a summer camp called Meadowmount, and that's where I met Ralph D'Souza, um, the wonderful violinist from the uh, Andelian String Quartet, um, and I met Ralph. Uh, I was 12 and Ralph was, I don't know, 19 or something like that, a student at Curtis. And I would hear about Harvey, his brother. And and um, and for years, I, I knew about this guy, Harvey D'Souza, from the menu in school, friend, I mean, uh, brother of Ralph D'Souza. And then finally we met and now we play together uh, regularly and we're great friends. And, and yeah. it's, it's been one of the great joys of 
coming to the Academy of St. Martin, the fields, having this old friend, uh, having Harvey in there. And um, uh, so it's, 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 it's really cool that uh, when I come yeah. to work, I have this great friend and Harvey D'Souza. And now we're here, we are speaking. It's amazing because it's quite a journey, Josh, isn't it? I know. We've been through a lot. I mean, I when I first, you know, first found my by uh, the Strad that I play on now, you were there That's that right. yes. that week and and helping me listen listen to it uh, in the Royal Albert Hall and you've been there for me at various interesting points of my career and um, it's it's kind of neat when you're sitting next to each other. Um, I mean, who is who's leaning on who's leaning on whom? You know, in that in, in that role, it's very it's very difficult that leading role. I think when somebody oh, I'm definitely that. leading on Josh. There's no question <laughs> about that. <laughs> in every Actually, way, he's leaning. Oh, he's leaning away from me because, <laughs> yeah. because very often people tell me after a concert, said, "Boy, that guy next to you, it's amazing he's still alive. That you haven't you haven't put a hole through his head with your bow as you're waving your." waving your bow around and trying to play and, and direct at the same time. So I think he's doing a bit of dodge, dodging. Uh, 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 it's well conference. choreographed, isn't it? <laughs> but it's a, it's a hard role, isn't it? Because some of the time, obviously, Josh, you're, you're directing um, without playing the violin. You know, That's right. And, and so, um, and you, you know, you might be sitting next to Harvey, but he's, he's then the only one on the first stand playing so it's 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 not always easy i guess harvey that um no, that it's particularly not easy when he drops out in the most difficult bits and then come on harvey i don't do that <laughs> expression. About during accompaniment pizzicato <laughs> that's the what I without out. a paddle that's how i feel <laughs> <No>. <laughs> maybe in rehearsals no. in rehearsals I, I like to hear how you guys are doing without no, it's, it's actually <laughs> it, it's great it's it's you know it, it keeps one it keeps one on toes and, and and I actually love it it's just it's so great because you just feel so involved in it all the time and it's also very subtle there are times I feel that my role sometimes is to be aware when sort of Josh is looking after the bigger picture and looking after the winds and the brass and stuff like that and then I'll make sure that what's happening around more locally within the section that you know we 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 are tightly knit and we and we're all sort of focused on that and and so it's very subtle that all these wonderful little things that are happening but it's a it's it's a it's an extremely you know uh, lively process and 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 certainly engaging most engaging that i feel you know i just love it I, I remember um playing in the um academy josh when you first recorded your Mendelssohn concerto which oh my gosh been- 1986 86 wow yeah my 19th birthday week yeah but i guess you never you never imagined um that all those years later you would be artistic director of the orchestra i would not have imagined no i would not have it um it's been an interesting journey for me with the academy because i started playing as a as a guest director in the uh you know around to a little after two year 2000 and um and we it's been a kind of natural progression from doing strings projects with them then growing to slightly bigger small winds and small symphonies of mozart and then sort of graduating you might say to beethoven and uh and now most recently we've been doing brahms symphony number four we just came off of the tour but 
the whole the direction um, how to direct from the chair has been something that I never really studied because I didn't have much to go after. I've watched conductors and I've watched concertmasters, but to find the the right way to mediate the kind of in-between job um, has been a learning process for me and coming up with the right balance of playing and directing and finding the right language. Uh, after getting to the, know the orchestra for years and years, they kind of understand, I think, my language of how I express. And sometimes I don't need to do anything but give a certain look or raise my eyebrows and they kind of understand what I what I mean and, and how I put the bow on the string while playing, they already know they they know you know what sort of intent musical intention I have by the way that's just from getting to know each other really well and and uh, yeah. Harvey and I have kind of come up with this kind of language while we play together of how how you know how to split those things and 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 um, it's really been an interesting learning process for me um, and and funny enough our last tour just before the lockdown. Um, was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life going on tour with Harvey and the orchestra uh, in the States and, and doing Paganini concerto, which I hadn't done since I was uh, uh, 16 years old. Uh, but most, even more importantly, um, the uh, doing the Brahms fourth symphony, which I really didn't know whether we could, whether we could extend, you know, our, um, what we do to a Brahms symphony, whether it would work, it was it going to be too big. Was it, were we, were you going to be able to play like chamber music and be able to get enough information to all the players so that they felt a cohesive uh, unit without a without a conductor waving a stick? Um, and it was actually far exceeded my expectations. And it was one of the best musical experiences I've had. Period. So, and that was our last concert before it all shut down. Our last wow. California concert on March fourth. That was uh, we just got our tour finished and sent everybody home. Uh, and you know, um, before everything kind of went haywire. Oh, thank goodness for that. And and what what is it about the academy that you feel makes it so different different from other other orchestras? I mean, apart from the fact you're directing it, but yes, that's um... a, <laughs> they let me direct. That's the big, that's the big one. Um, <laughs> and they put up with me now for this is coming up on my tenth tenth year, year next right? year of of yeah. uh, of officially and couple of decades of being a guest director, not including the one with you, Simon, 33 years ago. Yeah. Um, but um, but uh, <laughs> you know, the, the Academy is, is special um, because, uh, first of all, you know, I've, I have had the experience of playing with pretty much every, every major orchestra almost in the, in, in the world. I've been in my 30-some years of touring. Um, and, but the, the Academy has some... Uh, something special. First of all, they like each other, um, which sounds. <laughs> they actually, they, I should say, the atmosphere in rehearsal is one of, of real respect. I never feel feel any sort of weird politics or resentments, which you often feel with the, even some of the best big orchestras. You feel like, oh, I can sense it the second I walk on stage. Oh, that concertmaster and the principal violist seem to not like each other. They don't even look at each other. You know, you get these kind of feelings as a soloist standing there. You, you sense it. This orchestra, I don't really understand why, but they just, they even celebrate after concerts together and have dinner together. And, like, you don't see that a lot. Um, and that sort of camaraderie, you feel it in the rehearsals. They really want to to make music. They're sitting on the edge of their chairs, partially because it's a very, it's a small group compared to a hundred-piece orchestra. 
they you know they can't get away with with uh, phoning in the performance. Everyone feels it, and so everyone's contributing uh, to their utmost. And and um, I don't know. It's just it's really it's really it's chamber. I, you know, it's been cliche to say that again and again, but yeah. it really feels like glorified string quartet playing when you play with this group. And that's just when you for playing concerto repertoire it's amazing for me to experience that and um also playing you know beethoven symphony like that is just thrilling um to be a part of it and of course it started out with neville neville mariner was directing from the violin when when the orchestra started and i think that real close contact that all the players have together is a real feature of the orchestra i remember george malcolm and um, the harpsichord player saying to me that neville would do a in in concert, just do a completely unrehearsed subito pianissimo, um, and everybody's so together and and so aware of what's going on. You, you could do that, and and it's quite it's really nice in many ways to see it come kind of full circle and and still and and have it directed from the violin. I would have loved to have seen. I've no, I never saw him direct uh, from from the chair. I'm curious how he would have. Uh... Uh, how he would have handled that in that I've seen, of course, conduct so many times, but uh, that's, that's really interesting. One of the great strengths of uh, of Neville was that he he would know what his strengths were and his weaknesses, and uh, he wasn't the greatest violinist, but he had phenomenal abilities, and and of course, and but he would get maybe Iona Brown to sit next to him. So if they were doing Bartok Divertimento with the violin solo, he would get another violinist to play the solo, but. Most people didn't realize he wasn't playing it. It was oh, marvelous violin solo. Oh, so, wow. Um, yeah. And so, Harvey, get ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare, Josh. <laughs> no, but actually, there is, there is a wonderful, there is, I think, an old YouTube video somewhere of him uh, doing a Handel Concerto Grosso. And it's amazing. You see, he, he, he had incredible amount of charisma and his leading was so dynamic and and precise and you can see why he he was so good at it you know it was absolutely natural and it's actually wonderful to see if you can dig it up somewhere i'm sure you can i think i think natural is a good word and and i I find that everything he did had a had a tastefulness and naturalness it was never contrived you get a lot of conductors trying to put their stamp on the music because the conductor doesn't make much of a much of a sound um, themselves, so so you often feel the conductor's trying to make their mark, uh, and often the, that ends up not letting the music just uh, shine through. And somehow I, I found um, Mariner's uh, music making was always natural and and tasteful, and and I think the orchestra, this orchestra, kind of has this general aversion to things contrived and and um and i as a basis to work with for me that's that's so wonderful because everyone has an innate you don't have to go back to ever have to kind of feel like you're working on some basic things um uh philosophical things like there's you're already starting always at a tasteful high level with this orchestra and and um and it's especially approach to for instance Baroque music, and um, they somehow this orchestra finds has a really wonderful way of balancing their background. Many of them have backgrounds in early instrument playing, um, and of course modern instrument playing. But somehow, 
they find they strike the right balance. I think it's um, between those two, uh, and and uh, I, yeah. So I think it's a, it's the I think Nev, Sir Neville is largely responsible for creating that from the beginning. This sort of ideological uh, um, uh, approach um, yeah. or, or lack thereof. I don't know what it is, but but they. Uh, I think he created a wonderful foundation for this orchestra that just remains. For sure. Um, and is it is when you're approaching a concert, and I mean, you you're obviously very used to galvanizing yourself, but is it harder to galvanize others, or is it easier to? It, it must, <laughs> well, it's a different skill, isn't it? I mean, it's a different skill. You know, I, I mean, it's um, my approach really is. Um, with music, whether you like it or what I'm doing or not, I think you can't fault me for not giving it everything I've got. I would, I, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't. Um, Absolutely. And Absolutely. so you yeah. can. So, so I think that's my approach with this orchestra is, is to lead by example as far as my commitment and energy level. Um, um, uh, and and uh, really, you know, when you're playing a Beethoven symphony, for me, it's it's. Uh, I approach it like, like life or death, which it really is. I mean, I, yeah. um, this music is really, it should be, I think, approached that way. Uh, and they, I think they sense that uh, in me that, um, that it means so much to me and I'm not doing it for any other reason. Um, I shouldn't be speaking about my, myself in this way, but, <laughs> but um, it is so true though. I mean, there's no question uh, the orchestra, absolutely sees Josh put out, you know, 110% every night when he walks on stage. And and I think we just learn from example. And uh, I know, in fact, I was just, as you were just talking about that, Josh, I'll, you know, in the 10 years as, as a music director, there's only been one time I remember when we were doing a tour in the States and it was a long tour and it was, a, you know, it was a, hard work going around and I think somewhere in the middle of the tour about about, about six years ago when we didn't play such a great concert we were in the orchestra was not on its full metal as shall we say it was a hard travel day and everything and I remember you came out in the rehearsal the following day and just said to the orchestra you know last night's concert we weren't we weren't that great and that was the only time you had to say it. And the orchestra immediately just, you know, we realized, we all knew we hadn't done it, but it was just required reminding. And I think in the whole 10 years, it's pretty good that you've only done it once, so, you know, where you've reminded us that, you know, you know, come on, pull up our socks, you know, don't allow this. And, 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 and it's, it's, I, you know, I feel that as a group, Certainly, there's every concert for me has felt like an event. It has never been another, just another concert. And I think that is what, you know, Josh certainly brings. It, it is every, every night, it's a different experience. And, and it enriches us tremendously by being so. And I think, it, you know, Simon, when you were asking, you know, do you ever feel like, you know, certainly from our standpoint, you know, we've we've never felt that we've needed to sort of been to be jeered up for a concert or something. People are really raring to go and are, and are, and are so excited about it. You know, 
And yes. certainly this last 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 tour you were talking about, Josh, you know, we it was just such a high. It was just such an incredible experience to do the Brahms symphony, the Paganini every night. I mean, it was just amazing. And uh, and what you what you did, I mean, it was just phenomenal, truly phenomenal. So it was yeah. a crazy tour. It was seventeen it was seventeen concerts in twenty days or something like yeah. that. Every yeah. night, almost every single night, a new city and a Brahms symphony and a Paganini concert. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I actually that uh, after that tour, I was supposed to come home and and have four days off and then go to Europe for another long tour um, with with another orchestra, which I was looking forward to. But my gosh. Ha, uh, it, uh, it was having the rest after that tour was not totally um, um, unwelcome because I was exhausted. Yeah, it's been a sort of a, a dream for me to get to to do this sort of repertoire. I mean, um, after, you know, touring with concertos for so long and recitals, but uh, getting to do the symphonic repertoire in this way is just uh, it's just so it's just been sort of a, a, a dream. So, um, and, and you're both, you're both lucky enough to play on, um, really fine 18th century violins. So, I mean, Josh, you've got the fantastic, uh, Huberman Gibson Strad and, um, Harvey, now you're playing on a Pietro Guarneri from Venice. Yes. And, um, how, how do the two instruments complement and contrast with each other? <laughs> would you say? Sitting with Josh and next to, probably one of the greatest violins in history. I mean, I absolutely love that strat that Josh plays on and and the sound that he makes. I mean, it, it is just fantastic. I mean, it you know, there are times where it can, I have to admit that it can be overwhelming because sometimes, you know, you you realize as as fine as an instrument that I'm very fortunate to play on, that strad, you know, it can just produce such an enormous sound that sometimes you just wonder that, you know, whether you can match it. But you also realize that one of the great things about the instruments that we do have is that there is a quality to them. They have an individual quality, and, and in their own way, they carry and they add to the whole. And and this is what I find, you know, this is that... that you know, it's not about sort of, it's not like a horse race that you're sort of competing, you know, it's not about that. It's about, it's complementing when and how you find them, like in chamber music, like in, in like in anything that one does when we play. So, yeah, I mean, you have a better picture of it, Josh, but, you know. <laughs> well, you know, first of all, the, my Strat I got in 2001 uh, from JNA Beer, um, and I fell in love with it after immediately i mean five minutes in the in a in a room alone with a violin and i was literally shaking thinking i just have to have this violin and played on it that very same night at the royal albert hall playing a bernstein serenade and west side story suite one of the i don't know what i was thinking not even you know knowing the instrument and going in front of those people and uh, i was just so enamored with it and um so it's 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 special um but you know you mentioned you know, of the volume of sound, you know, with the violence like this, it's, it's, it, it is, um, it's really not the volume. In fact, there, there are, there are modern instruments that are for sure would be louder than my violin. Um, but, uh, the strat, it is about the quality and also the ability to, to 
create uh, different sound colors and and to play softly. I mean, to carry a violin for a violin to carry to the back of the hall and still give the impression of being very very quiet but but projected is something that I think the old Italian violins and the Strad in particular have this amazing ability to do. And um, it insp also inspires um, the player. Uh, it gives them a tone, a color palette, which um, is helpful in in solo playing, but also even in orchestra playing. It, it, I feel it, 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 uh, it, it gives me an idea of sound that I can then strive for the whole orchestra to to have. If I want a particular pianissimo sound from the orchestra, I keep I want to keep striving for that. And a lot of that is the inspiration of, of the, of the instrument. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, true, yeah. No, well, thank, thanks so much. Guys. Just one last thought really, which is what's the first thing you're going to do when you're let out of prison and you can get out of the lockdown um, that we're all in right now? What? Hmm. Harvey. Oh it's gosh, it's a very good there question. There are too many things, aren't there? Basically, there are too many things that you want. There are, yeah, there are a lot of things. I mean, you know, I mean, right now, despite the fact that uh, it, you know, there, it's pretty strict the lockdown, but one can still sort of go out for walks. You know, you can go out for a certain amount of things. So you do. It's not that aspect of it, but I, I guess the biggest thing is that I just want to see my friends again in person sure. and and, yeah. and you know as much as it's fantastic to have things like facetime and whatsapp and all of the ways we can communicate now electronically uh you know i i i, I do miss giving my friends a big hug you know honestly that's yeah, yeah me too and 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 of course family and um i miss my family in indiana my mother um is 84 years old and and uh we're keeping everyone away from her at the moment you know just to, to be ca extra careful um but it's amazing how quickly we've gotten used to this new normal and that i think it's going to be hard to jump back I, already watching on television groups of people like uh, taped events from six months ago and you see groups of people together you cringe like oh my god what are they doing you know, yes. yeah. it's amazing how we've gotten used to it. So I think it's it's going to be hard to to imagine going back immediately. Although we got used to this that quickly, maybe we'll get used. We'll we'll drop back into the old ways as as quickly as we left them. So yeah. um, I don't know, but I miss um, I, I miss the concert experience concert experience of having the that that magic of being in front of an audience and having that palpable sensation of anticipation from the crowds. Um, that's well, whatever the new different. whatever the new paradigm is, I'm sure you'll both make the most of it. So, thank you very <laughs> much, Harvey. Thank you very much, Josh. And um, yeah, I wish you well and stay well. Thank well, thanks you. for talking with us. This yes. has been been a pleasure. Um, um, and uh, see you soon. I hope. Yes. Yes. See you yes soon. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> yeah. <absolutely. laughs> Bye. See you guys. Thank you so much to Joshua Bell and Harvey D'Souza. My next episode will feature Paul Cassidy, viola player of the Brodsky Quartet for 40 years. Paul is the youngest of 16 siblings and grew up in Derry. The Brodsky Quartet have given more than 3,000 concerts and made 60 recordings since their formation almost 50 years ago. They've also worked with an eclectic mix of artists such as Anne-Sophie von Otter, Elvis Costello, 
Paul McCartney and Bjork. This podcast is brought to you by J&A Beer and the Beers International Violin Society. If you would like more information, please visit beers.com.